0: Hello and welcome to episode 72 of Command Space on 5x5. My name is Mike Hurley, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Mr. Nevin Mogan. Hi, Nevin. Hi there. How are you doing, sir?
1: I am doing great,
0: thank you. Thanks for being here today.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: So, Nevin, um, why don't you tell our listeners what you like to be known for?
1: Ah, oh, let's see, yes, what, what is my claim to fame? Um... I am uh, a designer at Panic, uh, the uh, Mac software company. Um, I uh, am one of the two people who made the iOS and Mac game The Incident, and uh, also made the game uh, Black Bar uh, recently. And I guess those are the things I'm best known for.
0: Awesome stuff. So, I want to know a little bit about your your origin story um, and sort of how you got to to where you are now. So when you were when you were growing up nevin did you did you draw a lot? did you paint where you're an auntie child?
1: ah uh, yes, absolutely. My dad's original plan was that he was going to be a painter, and then sort of you know the realities of supporting a family kicked in hmm. uh but you know he 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 still you know kind of does it as a hobby. he very much encouraged it in in us kids, so myself and my two brothers, all three of us were you know into drawing and any sort of art stuff from an early age. Um, And, uh, yeah, yeah, I've always been into that.
0: So would you say that, that your artistic tendencies come
1: from your parents? Do
0: you think that's where it comes from?
1: I I think so I mean you know I I don't know how much of it is like you know genetic talent or whatever but they were definitely always encouraging that my dad it was just I I grew up thinking that that's just one of those things that of course you're going to be focusing on Mm -hmm. you know it would be crazy not to find some form of artistic expression so I'm, I'm definitely fortunate in that way
0: so when you were growing up it was very much just a case of this is something that people do this is what everybody does everybody is arty
1: I figured everybody had some some way of of doing that, you know, not necessarily drawing or whatever, but something like that. And then it was at a fairly early age, actually, that I learned that there was also a thing called design, which is separate from, you know, fine art, you know, from drawing, painting and such. Um, And I I was drawn to that as well.
0: So you you mentioned uh, video games, that video games are a thing thing that you you work on. Were they a thing for you when you were a kid?
1: Yes, absolutely. I can remember getting my Commodore 64. That was the first computer that the family got. And I was totally fascinated by it. And fairly early on, I was also fascinated by the fact that I could make things for it. Um, you know, for a few weeks, I just enjoyed it the way you enjoy books or movies or anything else like that and then i th- i think it was a friend of my dad's who sort of explained that you know people like you and i make things for the computer and i found some you know basic uh, basic programming language book um and that that was kind of amazing for me learning that just anybody can do it and i i was pretty bad at it i'm still pretty bad at programming but just sort of the idea that anybody could do it was was eye opening for me so did you go on to study art um, I, I, I studied graphic design for about two years in college. I also spent another year and a half studying uh, diplomacy, of <laughs> all things. Um, uh, but yes, I, I, actually in high school, I pretty much knew that I wanted to go sc- to school for graphic design. Um, so I'm, I'm, I, can, I feel happy that that worked out in the long run, that you know, I'm 33 and that's actually what I'm doing with my life.
0: I have no doubt that being an artist and a designer having studied diplomacy was probably quite useful for you.
1: But- <laughs> you know it's in uh maybe maybe I'm just fooling myself but I I I like that I took it. Yeah. I think it's partly just because I had a few really good teachers, and I think a really good teacher is a good thing to have in your life, regardless of what you're learning. So I think I, I learned ways of thinking right. more than like specifics of what suit you wear when you go to a <laughs> dinner with the you know ambassador or whatever.
0: It probably helped you with you know tips and tricks on how to deal with clients, <laughs> like you know how oh. to be how to be courteous when telling people to to <laughs> shut up. <laughs> leave yeah. your
1: <laughs> giving, giving them the bad news well actually the thing that probably taught me that even more was my sort of first big serious job which was working at a like a tech support call center right. and, and and having to to deal with people uh, on on that level that was definitely very instructive on like here's how you remove yourself personally from this transaction and here's how you focus on what the other person's thinking right now and what they want to get out of this and how you can sort of judo them into actually doing what you want them to do that kind of like negotiating skill
0: so what took you from being uh, a diplomatic art student doing tech support to finding your way to panic software
1: um, the the company where I was doing tech support eventually one of the managers there realized that I was spending my free time building websites designing things you know whatnot. And he was like well you know we have like an internal software development uh, group and you know I, I think you know your time would be better spent there and so I started doing sort of low level uh, uh, client side software development for them um, and that that was in Florida. I ended up moving to Portland, Oregon, where Panic is based and. Um, then eventually, I, I started working for uh, the Associated Press. I worked on their first I- iOS mobile app, mm-hmm. uh, which took me to WWDC, Apple's conference in San Francisco, which is where I met, met the panic guys. Now, being a Mac user, I was very much aware of mm-hmm. their software and of them as a company. Um, but at the time, it felt to me like like, like a complete impossibility that I would actually work there. They just felt way too cool. For someone like me. Um, But then, you know, I I met them and I guess, you know, they they like my work online and, you know, I was just sort of invited to like, come check out their offices, which eventually turned into, do you want to work here? And I very much wanted to work there.
0: (laughs) Was that one of those like uh, secret job interview type scenarios? Hey, just come over, you know, we'll just talk for for an hour in front of a few people.
1: (laughs) Well, absolutely, especially because there was sort of, it was, it was so gradual it started with we just met the wwdc i think through john gruber through some you know dinner that he had arranged and you know it's just a bunch of people talking whatever and then we ended up talking about oh you live in portland i live in portland we should hang out sometime and then uh, you know just kind of like oh you should come check out our office which i, I really didn't think was anything other than we want to meet people who are local yeah uh, but yeah by the end of that it just turned into hey we're looking for a designer so so how long ago was this how long have you been at panic now um, I just had my fifth year anniversary a few weeks ago.
0: So, it's been quite some time. Five years is a good amount of time.
1: I think so. I think it was only this year that I stopped thinking of myself as the new guy. Though. <laughs> and, and I asked others and that's not how they felt. So.
0: so, how many people were at Panic when you joined there and how many people are there now?
1: I think it was... 12 when I joined and maybe 17 now so I think we're still keeping our pace of adding about one person per year mm-hmm. so
0: you know, to get to to 100 it's going to take like another <laughs> 80 years which is fine I mean I, I hope Panic's still around in it's, 80 years
1: but... <laughs> we we certainly hope so too we've been around for 17 uh, and yeah we, we definitely hope it keeps going
0: I think everybody's familiar with some of the fantastic apps and, and stuff that, that Panic have, have made Um, and that you have sort of in your roster but what's been some of your favorite projects that you've worked on at at Panic not even necessarily um, the applications themselves
1: Um, let me see um we just went through a little bit of rebranding recently, and that was definitely—it's it, fun slash stressful. You know, we're taking a 15-year-old, you know, brand and kind of redoing it. But then at the same time, we know that you know, in the grand scheme of things, we're a small company, and you know, it, it doesn't really matter that much. So it's also—it's also fun. Um, I like working like our two biggest products are Coda and Transmit, which are for people who have, like, work to do on their computers. And it is sort of uh, gratifying to be working on something that people out there actually use to get their job done. So that that definitely feels good to be helping people with, you know, actual things that they need to do during the day. Um, But I also like the, you know, the, the goofy stuff on the side setting up our blog was kind of interesting like you know we we added a company blog probably like seven years after that was you know in vogue <laughs> so very late to that party but then once we did it I, you know we kind of did it our way so I was that was pretty fun to work on
0: so Panic I think are well known for the fact that the applications are designed so well from like a user interface and user experience perspective like from top to bottom why do you guys take such care to craft your applications the way that you do?
1: Um, there's I've been thinking about this a lot. There's a number of ways that you can approach sort of the motivation for, you know, for, for doing something right. And I, I think you know uh, you can you can certainly ask your users you know what would what would feel right you can do sort of you, you can expand that you can do like focus group type stuff you can do surveys and you can you can see what people want you can measure how satisfied are people with your software but I think uh, for us being such a small company uh, and having you know basically two designers there's uh, Cable Sasser one of the co-founders of the company and myself um, it mostly comes down to um, I just want to do the best job that I can do. This is, you know, this is my job and I would feel terrible if I was putting out stuff that, that on the inside I knew was, was no good. Um, partly we're free to, to, to be able to make decisions like that because we're a small company, we make our own apps and we sell our own apps. We don't have clients, we don't really do client work or anything like that. So we're not beholden to anyone but ourselves. And while that's sort of liberating, it also kind of puts this pressure on you where you're like, okay, given that it's just me standing behind this, I I have to make sure that I don't end up looking like a jerk you know, when it comes out. So in that sense, there's a responsibility there to make sure that this thing that your stamp and your stamp only is on is really the best that you can possibly make it. If, If any part of you thinks that it's not perfect, you just don't ship it. That's the other thing. We're not beholden to somebody else's deadlines, you know, for the most part. So we can, we can just wait. If you're doing client work, there's always that experience of like, you know, well, if it were my thing, I would have done it another way. But, hey, this is what they ask for. And in, at Panic, we just, we, we don't have that until we're happy. We're just not shipping it, basically.
0: Now, this, I feel like I'm doing this totally from memory, Okay, and I, th- I think that I might be right here. You say about not doing client work. Didn't you guys do something for Disney recently?
1: Yes, yes, excellent. And that is the sole exception. The, uh, we, we designed <laughs> – it's, it's such a goofy project. We designed a pavilion – for for an internal Disney uh, thing, um, the reason we took on that is that a number of people here are huge Disney fans, and especially of Disney parks, of of, of that whole uh, subset of Disney. Walt well, Disney as a company. Um, the other thing is, it was a really fun creative project where they were like, you know, we want you to design this, and it's it's up to you. You do whatever you want, and then we'll build it. So in that sense, it's an ideal. You know, client project. Um, it's also kind of outside of our of our regular sphere of work um, that it was it was just loopy enough that it felt like sure we might as well do this. Why not?
0: How often do the the things like that come along?
1: You know, like <laughs> so this was this was know. the only one. I, I believe this is the only time that we've ever developed something for someone else. Um, I don't know if it'll happen again in the future. Who knows? You know, if if, if something that's cool enough comes along, sure. But, yeah, that's that's the first time.
0: There's only, there's only, you know, there's only so many times Disney are going to ask you to do something for them, I think. So you kind of just <laughs> have to take those scenarios where you can. I think that's a perfectly good reason to do it, to do something yeah. like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's the sort of thing. I mean, we do get approached, uh, you know, a lot. But this was one of those where, like, yes, of course, you know, it's, it's a company that we like and respect and we genuinely would like to, you know, to to see this thing, so yeah, why, why not do it?
0: So, uh, what is the culture like working at Panic? I know that you guys are really loved in the within the Mac community, and I wonder if that's something that you feel inside the company.
1: Um, yes, definitely. I mean, we feel appreciated by our customers a lot. Um, that that that's another part that feels really good about about working here. Um, from the from the inside, the company is run very it's run like a small family business like a small family store or bakery or something like that where like it's it, it's not, not that huge ideas are off the table but we still do things the the sort of the the slow uh Obvious way of like show up and do the work. Um, there's no crunch time. There's no staying here late. Uh, th- there's nothing like that. Uh, it's sort of like, you know, you show up at the office at like, you know, 10 and you go home at six. You know, it's, it, it, it's very family friendly and, um, we're we're small enough that for now it's it's kind of flat. We don't really have a lot of management going on. It's it's not that we're opposed to that. We just don't need it with 17 people. But it sort of feels it has the feel of like a of a of a shop where it's you know one open room. You know, you know people at desks. Communication is mostly people walking up to other people. Um, so yeah, it's it it feels like uh, you know. <laughs> Like a group of friends or a family, I know that's a silly way to put it, but that's kind of what it feels like for me.
0: And you have those incredible offices in Poland as well that you work that you guys work from.
1: Yeah, we were uh, we uh, we were in a smaller office just a few blocks down, and then w- when we got this one, the idea was that this would be the last time that we move. Like this is it. This is where Panic is. You know, we'll stay here for as long as we can. So, given that, we sort of. It used to be like a parking garage before or something. So basically, we tore down everything um, and sort of designed it from the ground up. So it looks the way we want it to look. Um, it's not. It, it's it's interesting. There's a difference between like a lot of people think that our office is cool and I think it's cool I you know I hope that's not kind of a vain thing to say but it's not cool in that like a lot of money went into it or we you know we, we have some insane feature it's just that there's a lot of things that are kind of intentionally done and there's not a lot of things that are like oh well this is how you do an office you know there are no fabric walls there are no telephones on tables uh yeah, just because we, we sort of think about what do we actually need in an office, not like what what, what have we seen in an office on TV, which I feel like every a, a lot of, a lot of places that I go to, it, they sort of look like, like people built them that way because that's how everyone assumes an office should be.
0: Yeah, but this is just the office that you guys want. It's the environment you want to work in.
1: Right, right, and I mean we definitely had. Have- you know, every now and then we have to change some things. We're like, okay, well, this didn't actually work out. But, you know, hopefully we're, like, we're honing it over time like that. Um, it's easier to hone something that you, you know, at least made the way you wanted uh, at the start rather than to try taking, like, like if you imagine a typical, you know, fabric cubicle office and then try making it cool by pinning up, you know, posters and whatnot. Like, that never worked.
0: <laughs> and... I think this would be a nice way to 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 segue into the next thing that I want to talk to you about. But um, at Panic, you guys are getting into video game publishing now.
1: Um, everybody here loves games. Uh, you know that that much is obvious. And Cable has talked about like you know it would it'd be super cool for Panic to get involved. You know in games, but the sort of games that 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 he likes playing are like larger games. You know something that has sort of the 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 time and the scope to like tell a big story you know and sure. be really c- kind of compelling um, and it's really hard for us to go from zero to something like that overnight um, we could get into you know smaller games but that's sort of that, that that's not where where he wants to land um, so then this opportunity presented itself where. Uh, 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 some friends of cables were, um, starting their own game company. And so, yeah, we approached them just sort of like, okay, maybe this is a good sort of like first step. Uh, and it just seemed like a cool opportunity in itself, you know, um, yeah, let us, let us take care of like the production aspect and then you can go and do your creative thing and not have to worry about, you know, all the boring stuff. Um, so yeah, it it felt, it's, it's interesting. People often say that something is like a Classic panic move exactly when it's something you wouldn't predict in the <laughs> sense that you know we try to do not not to we intentionally try to do things that are that are uh, unexpected, but just sort of like when something like that comes up, it's like yeah that, that sounds like something we would do.
0: So like I guess really the, the idea of the classic panic move is doing something that nobody really expects.
1: Right, including ourselves, and yeah. you know, again, we're not doing it as a stunt. You know, we're not sitting around going like, "Okay, what does nobody expect?" <laughs> it's just like a million ideas come up, a million opportunities present themselves, and you know, we say no to a bunch of them, and then every now and then, you're like, "Okay, this thing is just crazy enough that it might work."
0: So, I want to talk to you about video games because video games is, is another big part of of you and and the stuff that you do. Um, but before we do that. I just need to take a moment to thank our sponsor for this week's episode, the people that make this show possible, and that is, of course, Squarespace.com. They are the all-in-one platform that make it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. You can get 10% off and a free trial if you go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TALLYHO11. I really love Squarespace. I've been using them for many years, um, maybe five, six years personally, uh, maybe longer Because I don't really know how to build a website from scratch. It's not really something that I really understand. But whether you do or you don't, I believe that Squarespace is the right place for you if you're looking to build something online because they just make things hassle-free. They give you an environment where everything is taken care of, everything is beautiful, new features and designs are being added all the time to make sure that the platform continues to be powerful and easy to use. They have dedicated uh, employees that are just dedicated to support. So if you have any queries and questions, they've got people based to do that for you. So... If, you know, If you've got a project that you want to launch or you have a blog or maybe you want to create a portfolio or even an online store, they can give you all of the tools that you need. In one package. You don't have to go over there to find the statistics package, and over there to find a, a nice design, and over there to grab some fonts. They bring it all under one roof and they make it beautiful, but they also make it super easy to use. They have drag and drop systems so you can drag and dra- drop content from your desktop into the web browser and you can rearrange elements w- of your content around a page very easily just by dragging and dropping. Every Squarespace website features responsive web design, so your site's going to look fantastic on every device. As I I mentioned before they have recently added an e-commerce platform so if you want to set up a shop to sell things you can do that in just minutes and they're really focused on design not only do their templates look fantastic all of the, back, the background stuff all the back end stuff look great too so the way that you make changes to your site and post content and the apps that they have too are fantastic to look at So I want you to go and try this out for yourself. Go sign up for a free trial over at squarespace.com. Plans start at just $8 a month, and they include a free domain name if you sign up for a year. And when you decide to purchase an account with Squarespace, don't forget to use the offer code TALLYHO11. It's going to get you 10% off your first purchase, and it will show your support for Command Space and all of 5x5. Thanks so much to Squarespace for their support. They give you everything that you need to create an exceptional website. So, why did you want to make a video game nevin
1: um when i was about 10 i i obviously thought that there was nothing cooler in the world than making a video game um i had a little bit of an idea of you know again that people make these and of course i spent endless hours drawing my own characters and whatnot and and trying you know as hard as i could to to code something in basic that would qualify as a video game. And then that didn't work for a number of reasons, the chief one being that I'm just a sucky programmer. Um, and then I kind of put that away, like throughout my teenage and college years, I was like, yeah, you know, that was a silly idea. Um, but then I sort of I, I got a boost of confidence, mostly I think when, when the iPhone came out and when, when iOS kind of felt like a resetting of expectations and resetting of like who, who gets to do what. Um, just because nobody was established yet in in, in that world, um, and so w- when my when my friend Matt, who's pretty much the same age as myself um, and has sort of very similar sensibilities, when we were talking about that, he's an excellent programmer, and you know he was saying that obviously he always wanted to make a game too, and um, so yeah, he sort of eventually approached me saying, you know, let's let's make a game, and it's just the sort of thing that you don't have to convince me. Like all I had to. Yeah. All I had to know was that he was a good enough programmer and a disciplined enough developer that, yes, he would actually do this once he started. And, yeah, that's all I needed to hear.
0: So where did the idea for the incident come from? Uh,
1: the like the, the underlying idea for the underlying mechanic and everything was 100% Matt Comey's um, idea. Um, I don't know where he got it. When he described it to me, he described it as, imagine if you're like like a platformer character, like a Super Mario-type character who's trapped in, in a world that's like Tetris, where you know, stuff is you know, falling down. Um, and we, we kind of started with, with that idea. He kind of quickly prototyped what he was talking about. I, I thought I could tell what he meant, and then he quickly prototyped just a bunch of stuff falling and a guy trying to avoid it, and we both thought it was, it was hilarious, and so we, uh, we kept going with it.
0: So the, the game has a very classic sort of 8-bit style um, did you? Where were you drawing your inspiration from when you were designing the game?
1: Oh gosh! Um, in my mind, the greatest platforming game of all time is still Super Mario Bros. Three on on the uh, on the NES, and I think I was trying to match that. When I, but that was mostly from memory because when I look at it now, the art styles aren't that similar. Um, we totally I, I agree. I was-
0: by the way, I, I also say that Super Mario Bros. Three is probably one of the best video games ever made and yeah i, I don't think i've played a platformer since which has been as good as that game and i've played it i have an ouya and i've played it on my ouya oh nice um yeah. uh, perfectly legally of course and uh <laughs> and it's still just excellent
1: yeah i have a i have an nes uh hooked up to a little uh <laughs> uh to a little you know cathode ray tube TV uh, here in the office. And yeah, we'll fire that up every now and then. And it's still incredibly playable. Like, you know, there's a little bit of bugginess with, like, you know, redrawing in the edges of the screen and whatnot that, you know, if you were making it today, you could make it better. Uh, but none of that matters. I mean, the underlying gameplay and the level design and and sound design and everything are, are incredible. Um, so yeah, I was trying to match that, and, um, and, and, and then... Like, pixel art is something I did a lot on my, like, Commodore and on my Amiga, uh, and then I sort of dropped it for a while. And when Matt and I were talking, I, I don't know why we both sort of just uh, looked at each other, well, on, on on you know, on chat. <laughs> uh, and, because uh, he lives in Australia, and just sort of thought, yeah, it, it, it has to be like classic 8-bit. And... Um, and then I spent like a lot of time just sort of looking at screenshots of other games um, on this website Moby games MOby games.com, uh, which is sort of like a, like an encyclopedia of games. Uh, I would just look up like, games that in my mind uh, looked cool and I would just look at the screenshots and just sort of stare at them and go like, okay this is how they, this is how they solve a the problem of putting you know a, a heart into a 5x5 five five, uh, you know pixel grid. Um, yeah, but and then beyond that, it's it was just a matter of like firing up Photoshop and and you know and drawing. Um, I don't do a lot of sketching or anything like that. I just sort of like put the pedal to the metal right away and just see you know wh- where I can go. We had a few like tiny false starts with the art design of that just for like a week, and then eventually it was like, okay, yeah, this is what it's gonna look like. That's perfect. So, did
0: the skills that you've been working on? Um, like all, obviously, all the design work that you've done, uh, the web design, and obviously the app design and stuff like that, did did those skills transfer over quite easily to video game design, or, or did you have to learn some things again?
1: Um, I, I think a lot of stuff does does port over, and I don't hear people talking a lot about what happens when you know people who work on like productivity tools when they start developing games. Um, but i think if you're in the right mindset that can be super helpful actually one thing that matt who also worked on like you know serious business software serious in quotes um and i that that we both sort of felt was that games often kind of um ugh. Jerk the player around in the sense that, like, even if the game is great, like, getting there is not necessarily great. The menus are not good. The experience of just sort of moving from one, you know, place to the next is not great. Uh, things aren't timed time just right. Um, and we felt that we both sort of had a good understanding of how would you do this if it were an app. Like in an app, you don't really waste people's time. You don't make them, you know, dig around to find options that they need to use a lot. So a lot of that sort of stuff definitely. Um, Definitely translated, Um, and then as far as the like the core game design, like the mechanic and the controls and all of that, um, yeah, I think we're both drawing on a lot of just sort of user experience of like you know, okay, what what is the user aware of at this point, and what are they not aware of, and if there's something new that we need to give to them, how do we teach them? Um, If you're doing good business slash productivity software, you're doing it well in the sense that you're letting people like progressively discover new features and new options and new ways of doing things. The lazy way to do it is to put a bunch of you know, uh, bubbles over the screen with arrows pointing to things and saying this is your this tool and this is your that tool. Um, that's not something I'm, I'm down with. Um, so yeah, when it comes to game design, it's pretty much all that. Like, I I really dislike games that specifically pop up little bubbles all the time telling you, you know, you got an, you know, uh, item X and it does this and to use it, do that. Like, there's ways of teaching that through the game. That's one of the greatest things about games as a medium that they can just sort of teach you as you use it. And I feel like that's also true with good uh, productivity apps. So, yeah, I think we we were drawing on that.
0: The incident um, features lots and lots of objects, the, the objects that are falling down onto. What's, is the character's name? Frank. Frank Frank's yeah. always his name, yeah. Um, <laughs> I like that. Um, it features lots and lots of objects that are sort of falling down, and they're pixel art versions of things that we find in real life. So it could be like, there's like a smart car, and there's like a trumpet, and like the. just like statues, and all sorts of. Traffic lights, many, 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 many things, many objects, many random, random objects from the real world. Do you know how many there are?
1: Um, that's a great question, and I've been asked this many times, and I'm still too lazy to go and check. <laughs> it's in the, it's in the hundreds, but I don't know how many hundreds. I'm afraid. Um, I don't think I have a super easy way of finding out. Uh, they're all like in an X file, I guess, yeah, I could quickly count the nodes in there, but yeah, some, something on on the order of a few hundred, between two and five hundred, something like that.
0: So there's one that's a personal favorite of mine, and I don't understand the um, the, the, the significance. Yeah, where it, where it comes from. It's a sign that just says Hurley.
1: Okay, yes, I can tell you exactly what that's from. Aside from being
0: uh, my surname, you know, I, what else is it? Yes,
1: <laughs> yes um, okay, um, so there were a number of sort of things that were that were the inspiration for the incident, not like for the game itself, but for kind of, you know, what world is it set in. You may remember that right around that time uh, when the incident came out, the show Lost was like in its maybe third season, which is like, you know, when it was super hot. And both Matt and I watched Lost a lot and talked about it a lot. So there are a number of references to the show Lost. I don't know if you watched it. Uh, Hurley is the name of one of the, uh, yes. the characters. Um, so that's what that's a reference to.
0: How else would you pick what stuff to include?
1: Um, I started with, when originally Matt told me about it, he was saying, oh, all this stuff is, is falling on you. I'm like, what, what sort of stuff? He was saying, you know, just everyday stuff, because I imagine it's almost like if you took the world and you turned it upside down and you shook it, you know, what would fall out? Um, and I think his original examples were uh, vending machines, bathtubs, uh, big rocks, uh, a TV, a fridge, something like that. So those were the first things that I drew. And eventually, for like about eight months, which is how long I was drawing these objects for, I was walking around and looking at things. And I had this little test, which was the test was any physical object that I see that is between the size of a bread box and a small car, and that is sort of rigid—you know, it holds together—I would put that into the into the game. Um, so it ended up being just things that I would see around me. Um, so uh, like 90% of it is everyday things, furniture and whatnot. And then about 10% is kind of crazier things that I would see in movies or read about in books or just sort of remember randomly, um, you know, like Easter Island heads and things yeah. like that. Um, but yeah, mostly just kind of looking around. I had a I had a, a, a note in the Notes app on my iPhone where I was just constantly writing down new things to draw. And then I would come home, uh, you know, in the evening and quickly just draw those up do you have any favorites um i like the the michelangelo's david um because i was when i went to draw it i was like okay nevin this is serious business you are (laughs) drawing one of the greatest works of western art in pixel form you have to do a good job that was really I was really happy with how that turned out. And then the smart car, I think, is another favorite yeah. because it's just it's an object that looks like it's already from a video game, right? Yeah, it's got such cute a... proportions and colors and everything. So yeah.
0: And there's great music in the game, too.
1: Yes, the music is by Cable Sasser. Earlier I uh, mentioned him as one of the co-founders of uh, Panic. He's an excellent musician also. And, uh, yeah, I was just sort of randomly talking to him about needing music for the game, and he offered that he would do it. And he did a fantastic job.
0: It's, it's excellent. When I was talking uh, to my buddy Stephen Hackett about the fact that you were going to be on the show, he said about not only how much he loved the game, but how much he loves the music. Oh, so nice. Awesome. It's a, it's, a, it's a thing that many people do. So one one of the interesting things about the incident for me. It's one of the first games I can can remember where you could control the game on your iPad with your iPhone as like a controller. So like obviously the well for people that don't know, the mechanic of the game is you are um, as things are falling down on, on top of your character Frank, you are tilting the phone left and right to move him around and tapping to jump. So you're like you're jumping on top of other things so you're getting out of the way of other big objects that are falling down on you and you're like tilting the phone to do that. And I remember that when the iPad came out you would be able to pair the two devices so you could use the, the phone as the controller as you would do it if you were playing it on the actual screen but you would see it on the ipad and, and you'd be moving around there why why did you want to do this
1: um this was matt was very insistent on us doing this and i think this also goes back to the fact that we both work on kind of on, on more serious apps uh, in our day jobs and if you're working on like a productivity app or something like that and a new like a big new API comes out like Apple comes out with some big new technology in the OS of course, you're going to look for ways to use that. Like that's just you know, of course, it improves your product. You know, it keeps you you know next gen whatever. You know, you have to do it. And so with the game, we had the same approach where it's like you know, oh, it would be possible to do this. Of course, we're going to do it. Later on, when Apple you know when iCloud came out, we were like, okay, we have to do iCloud. You know, game progress syncing between devices. Um, you know, and 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 other things with the with the uh, controller uh, mode. Um, yeah, I think we were the second game on the App Store to feature that. And, you know, in my humble opinion, I think we did a much better job of actually well, Matt did a much better job of actually implementing it. Um yeah, it just felt like the sort of thing it's it's mostly driven, it wasn't driven by like, you know, how many copies are we going to sell if we do this? Because I don't think we even checked. I don't even know if it resulted in a bump. But it was most. It was mainly like, okay, I'm going to have an iPad on day one, and I want to be able to do this. So we need to get this done by day one. Um, and so, yeah, that's why Matt was really pushing for us to do that. Another thing that we did later on uh, was when, uh, with Apple TV, we, uh, we added a way to play basically on... Uh, to hook up your iPad to the Apple TV and then use the iPhone as a controller. So you're basically using it as a console where you can play the game on your TV. And I think we were also maybe the second game to, to support that.
0: That was my next question. It oh, okay. My, my yeah. next thing yeah. Yeah. That it, did that too. It was,
1: yeah, it was driven by, by, by the same sort of thing where we were just like, you know, yes, I have an Apple TV and it would be super cool if I could play my game on my TV. So of course we're going to look into doing this.
0: So this isn't the only game. That that you have,
1: have been uh, that you have created. You've,
0: where did the idea for Black Bar come from?
1: Um, so, this was a few months ago, like this summer. I was just sort of generally thinking about uh, narrative-driven, story-driven games, and about text games. You know, and old text adventures. Um, I was never actually very good at old text adventures, and part of the reason was that. It felt like the like the possibility space, the, the the choice of things you can do was too large because you're looking at that prompt and you can type in go north or open mailbox or open door or give letter or whatever. It just feels like I don't know where to begin. It's too many things. And I was thinking, is there some way to simplify that? And that was just sort of like brewing in the back of my mind. Uh, for a while, and then I woke up one morning, and I remember having the idea of like of a redacted letter, of a letter that had you know a word blacked out in it. And I was thinking, at, when I saw it in my head, I think just because I've been using you know my iPhone for so many years, I immediately wanted to tap on the on the black bar, on, on the redaction bar, and then I was like, okay, cool. And then you could type in the thing, and if you type in the right thing, you move on to the next page, and that's the sole mechanic of the game, and it. It still is just that uh, in the whole game. And then later that day, I think I was in the shower, which is the place where ideas come from, right? And I had the idea for what if the whole page was just black redaction bars? Could you ever solve that? Because all you have is like how many words and what length they are. And then I was thinking about that, and, and I went, well, you know, but that's not all you have because there's other implicit knowledge here. If this is like, you know, the 30th letter that you've received, you have a sense of continuity of what else has been happening. So from all that, you might be able to piece together what, what is actually happening. And just sort of thinking about that, I figured, you know, yeah, I think there's a, there's a game there. And I really wanted to do a game that was driven by a story. So it just sort of felt like a perfect fit. It's
0: very unique, Black Bar. I've never seen a game like it before.
1: I'm I'm really glad you say that. Um, it's I, <laughs> in a sense I've called the the game App Store poison in that like it's almost designed to be a complete failure because right. the game is just black career text on white. That's all that the screenshots show you. Um, it has no music. It has no menu. It has no options. And it has nothing. The icon is sort of scary looking, and I. All of those were intentional decisions because I, I was like, I, once I once I started, once I started writing it, writing the story of it, I was like, you know, it has to be a serious story because the whole thing is about censorship, and I can't do a loopy, goofy, funny, you know, story about censorship. It has to be serious, and once I made that decision, I was like, I can't draw cute character for the icon, you know. I can't do anything like that. I can't do like wonky marketing tie-ins, whatever. It has to be like pure, you know, in in some sense. Um, but then I think it turned out that a lot of people actually were craving something like that because it is probably unusual in the app store. Um, it's a, it's a so. thinking man's game. <laughs> I i I don't want to be I don't want to put it that way, but uh, I'll take it if you'll say
0: it's very it's unlike any game I've ever played. Like I've I've never played a game like that before. Huh.
1: That's, that's interesting. How do you think it compares to like text adventures or like you know uh, graphical adventures or anything like that? I,
0: like you, I've I've never really been a. I've to say I'm not a fan of text adventure games. is is not correct, but I always have kind of been a bit like I don't really know what to do. Like this yeah, it. Is. yeah, because it, it, it's not even so much that there are so many options, but there are so many options that can be wrong, but you don't yeah. there's no the only benefit to getting something wrong in a text adventure game is I don't say that again, but in black yeah. bar, it's like, okay, now I need to totally rethink what I think this is about, because mm, the words that I choose they're not just random words I'm throwing into the game, they're the words that I believe of how the story's progressing, so
1: yeah and and there's also a thing of like. You are not making up what goes into this thing. This is a letter that you got from someone. They meant something specific. Yeah. You can't. You can't make them say something that they didn't say unless you unless you guess exactly what they meant. You can't go on. Yeah. Unless the other thing that I that I had a problem with yeah. in in text adventures and in many of the graphical adventures is that. Often, honestly, the writing would not be great. Uh, I would just not be that motivated to keep going. If I'm playing, you know, an an elf who is leaving his village to go search for the magic runestone, stone, whatever, I just don't care that much, honestly. Um, and that is, in the in the past, like 15 years, uh, text adventures. There's still sort of a you know a, a healthy community of people writing them, and they've written some incredible ones where the writing is so good that you're going to keep going and you're going to keep trying. And so. As a, as an assignment for myself, I was like, okay, this is a game that is uninviting. You look at it, and it just—it's not drawing you in with any gimmicks. Can the story draw you in? Can that be what you're, what, what's making you come back?
0: How did you want people to feel coming away from the game?
1: Um, that's that's interesting. I it, I'm, I hope I'm not spoiling anything if I say that the game has a happy ending. Um, and the sort of I only came up with this when I was when I was done, you know, writing it. But I was thinking, the whole thing is about frustration because a friend of mine, when he was beta testing the game, he said, you know, I get stuck on a puzzle and it's super frustrating. But I get frustrated at the censors in the game, and that's exactly what censorship feels like. It's frustrating, right? It's mm-hmm. not, but then in the game, halfway through or so, it turns into a game, sort of. Somebody literally tells you, you know, that, that it's a game, and I, and I guess for me sort of part of the message was that you can try, like, sort of putting down the human spirit by inserting these, like, artificial barriers, like censorship, but people are so smart and creative that they're going to find ways around it no matter what. Um yeah. So it's sort of about that kind of triumph of, like, the creative human spirit over rigid rules that are meant to, you know, align and control things.
0: How much of the design... Well, obviously, I assume you you did all of the design and the writing, but did you do the development for this, or did you have somebody helping you out with it?
1: Um, I originally coded the whole thing in JavaScript as like a little web page, and it looked and worked exactly the same pretty much as the iOS version. But that said, it was like filled with bugs, and bugs in a puzzle game are the worst thing ever because if a (laughs) bug comes up, the user has no way of knowing, is this part of the puzzle? Is this meant to happen? Is the screen supposed to be half black? Um, so, you know, I was happy with the pro- prototype, um, but I was like, I can't be the one to make this into an iOS game, so I'm going to have to talk to an actual programmer. And I talked to my friend, uh, James Moore, who also works at Panic, um, and he was, and I'm very happy that he was happy to, to you know, actually write the thing in Cocoa. Um, so, yeah, he was... He's the actual engineer uh, on the project. I, I, I approached him because the two of us talk about books a lot, and I think we have you know slightly similar uh, uh, tastes in, in books, so I figured he'd be interested in this, and he was. And you
0: recently ported the game to Android.
1: Yes, uh, actually, uh, my my friend uh, uh, Colin uh, did that. I was I was starting to feel bad. Like it was one part kind of experiment, like what does it feel like to have an app on Android, and one part I was kind of feeling bad that some of my non techie friends were going, "Hey, I saw that you made a game, but I can't play it on my phone," and I felt bad because I was like, you know, it's such a simple game. Technically, it really mm-hmm. should. You know, I wish everybody could play it." Um like it so, would yeah, be a um, lot
0: harder to port the incident.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, I think so. And we got a bunch of offers to, to port the incident to, you know, a number of different platform platforms. But it's like, well, we don't know the development stack on those other platforms at all. And yeah, I mean it's it's all native code. Like it, it wasn't really written in any sort of, you know, framework or sort of in between thing. Matt is very much like a do it right programmer, so he just writes kind of everything himself. So yeah, that that would have been super difficult.
0: So my understanding is that you're working on another new game called Space Age.
1: Yes, Matt and I are working on, on our next uh, project for his company, Big Bucket Software, and it's called Space Age.
0: Are you, allowed, What are you able to say at the moment? What can we expect?
1: Um, it is, well, let's see. It's it's a much sort of bigger game than than The Incident. Um, it is also done in, in pixel art, slightly different style, but, you know, pixely. It is very story-driven, and I have described it previously as a tactical adventure. Mm. It's an adventure in the sense that it's a story of, you know, you, there's a protagonist who goes through a, you know, big ordeal. Uh, and it's tactical in terms of what it is that you do and how you control things in the game. It is themed very much like a classic 1950s sci-fi movie. So that's sort of our aesthetic for it. Um, and it's kind of retro-futuristic in that it's set in the year 1980 seen from 1955.
0: Um, So, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I I just have to put that in my brain for a second.
1: Right, 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 right. Imagine it's 1955 and you're writing a story about, you know, the far-off future of 1980. Um, Right. (laughs) Which, if you you look at, like, 1950 sci-fi movies, if they do take place in the future, yeah, it's always like, you know, the year is 1976 and we've colonized Mars.
0: (laughs) I imagine, like, Lost in Space.
1: lost in space is a good reference um forbidden planet is probably the closest thing right that to me is sort of like the classic sci-fi movie of that era so um that's kind of what what we're shooting for
0: so where can people go to find out more about space age you um all of the stuff that you do
1: um my website is Mergen.com, like my last name m-r-g-a-n um space age has a website spaceageapp.com. um and i'm on twitter my handle is mergan m-r-g-a-n if you appreciate kind of dumb jokes you can get plenty of those there
0: and you've been dropping the vowels since before they were cool right
1: that's the title of my of my tumblr blog yeah <laughs> which is at mergan.com yeah yeah that's that's all thanks to uh not like namespace collisions, which is what leads startups to uh, to drop vowels, but just being from Eastern Europe.
0: <laughs> or maybe just all, most of those startups were from Eastern
1: Europe. We just had oh no idea. God. Never thought of that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nevin, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show.
1: Absolutely. I love talking to you.
0: If you want to uh, find any of the links for today's episode, go to 5x5.tv slash CMDSPACE slash 72. My name is Mike Hurley. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E, and I'll be back. That's how you can follow me on Twitter, I-M-Y-K-E, if you would like to. Um, And I'll be back next week for another episode of Command Space. Thanks again, Nevin, and thank you all for listening. Bye-bye.